Good morning. So glad you're here to study with us. We're in the book of Romans. I think this is our fourth message. You can uh, turn to your Bibles there if you'd like. Most of scripture is up on the screen. We've titled this series, Romans, the Road of Faith. Now, I wanted to begin the message today by starting with a story that Christ told, the story of the prodigal son. If you've grown up in church, you're probably familiar with this story, but the prodigal son is a story about a father and his son who the son came to the dad and said, I would like my inheritance now. And the father gave him what he asked for, gave him what he wanted. And he took that inheritance and he left his father and went on his own path to make his own way. And he used the inheritance to bring into his life things that he thought would bring about joy and happiness. And uh, friends surrounded him for a time. If you know the story, he squanders it all. And he comes up on hard times and needs to provide and <clears throat> ends up uh, serving. And he is feeding pigs. And I've got a picture of... The father, he's in this picture, he's seeing the son return, but if you turn that guy around, that would be the beginning of the story, when he left his father. But he found himself in a trough with pigs, feeding them, eating some of their own scraps, and it came to his mind, you know what, even my father's servants have a better life than this, and it draws him back to his father. Now, I think that this is a, a good illustration to begin with, because I have been talking in this chapter one of Romans about its thrust being primarily about our relationship with God. And in this message, what we're going to get, actually, let me see the next slide, because this is what we talked about last week, which was we all worship something, because last week we talked about how we trade God for other things. Claiming to be wise, Paul writes, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. You see a trade. And it's similar with the prodigal son. He had proximity to his father. He had relationship with his father. And he traded that for something he thought that would bring a betterment to his life. I'm going to go away from the father. I'm going to take what I want from him and make my own way and fill it with the things that I think will make me happy. And he ends up with the pigs. But he, he made an exchange. And last week, we talked about, Paul talked about this exchange. First, he says, listen, there's no excuse. There's something natural in life that communicates the existence of God to everyone. He, he uses the word, there's no excuse to not know there is a God. We talked about that last week. Now, this week, the way we're going to take this is getting what we want. That's the name of the message this week. Because everybody worships something. And when we choose to exchange God for whatever it is we want to worship, God, just like that father gave to his prodigal son what he wanted, he will give us what we want. He will let us go down that path to pursue what we think is going to bring about something of value greater than God. But in that exchange, you're going to see through this chapter, Paul uses that phrase, therefore God gave them up. I think it's an, a, a scary phrase. God 
abandoned them. So I have uh, titled the first point that I want to give to you, Fools Trade God for Something Else. And I want to show you three exchanges through the chapter. As you walk through the chapter, first of all, you're going to see, and these are actually the literal words from Paul. They exchanged the glory, and it says God gave them up. Secondly, they exchanged the truth, God gave them up. And then they exchanged natural relations, and God gave them up. Each time you see that pattern, that's why I started with the prodigal son. In the same way that the, the, the father gave him what he wanted, and he went on his way, the heavenly father, in like fashion, will abandon, will give you up to the path you choose. Now, as we walk through this, let me, let me pick up in Romans 1, 22 to 23. This is actually where we left off. I finished with this verse last week. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. This is where we landed last week. But you see the exchange, don't you? The glory of the immortal God for images. Now, in the past, I've talked about how the Bible says don't make any graven image of God. Even if you wanted to say, I'm not going to trade God, but I'm going to make an image of Him, you don't make images of God because whatever image you make will communicate something about Him that is not true. You cannot encapsulate in any image the full character of God. You might have an image and it communicates strength. He's powerful and strong, but you miss out on other things like perhaps mercy or love. And maybe we create an image that communicates He's a loving God, but you don't communicate something else like He's holy and just. Now, in this verse, He's talking about even another step over here, which is we're going to trade all together image of God for, and this just seems ridiculous, the image of the immortal God for, and what does He say here? things that are created, birds, man, animals, reptiles. And it sounds a, a bit ancient, doesn't it? I mean, who today creates a, a wooden carving, as an example, of, of a reptile and say, that's my God? But nevertheless, here in Paul's passage, he's talking about, it, it has an uh, overarching, this is, could fit any era of man's time, of trading the image of God for something. <clears throat> and it's interesting because man, there's a declension there. He's made in the image of God. That's a little bit closer, but then birds, animals, reptiles, that's an even, they're not even made in the image of God. But yet we see this trade, this exchange going on. And so my first point in fools trade God for something else, this exchange is an exchange of idolatry, an idol. You, you are replacing Him with something that you think gives the type of value or honor or power to you, and you are replacing Him. Now, as you walk, as you walk through the passage, you're going to see these different exchanges, but I'm going to borrow this from last week because it's foundational. Why? 
Why trade? How does it come to the point where you would trade God? And last week we looked at Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, they were in proximity. They were in the garden, but yet they made an exchange. Eve exchanged God for knowledge. Adam exchanged God for woman. I'm not giving up woman. I like her. I'm going to trade. We all make an exchange. And Paul kind of peppered in there. He gives you how it comes about, how we trade God. Number one, we're not grateful for what we've been given. We don't honor Him. And then we convince ourselves something else can satisfy us in His place. And so we make the trade. We trade God for something. Now, I think that's very foundational to everybody in the room to circle back constantly, are you thankful and grateful? It's almost as if ungratefulness grows within you. It unravels a lot of other things. I mean, it's the first step in discarding God. An ungrateful heart creates envy. It creates jealousy. It makes you upset at somebody else because they have uh, cheated you out of something that you're ungrateful. Whereas Paul, you know, he says, be content in every situation. The Bible says Christ is everything. If I lost everything in the world but had Christ, I should still be content and satisfied. But somehow an ungratefulness grows within us that will unsettle the very foundation. But we talked some about that last week, how we trade God. But let me go back to this text this week. I'm going to read verses 24 to 25 where Paul writes, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, I'm highlighting words. I want you to see things. Because there's the exchange again. I said there's three exchanges. The first exchange is idolatry. The, The glory of God for these images, these idols, Man, reptile, birds, right? There's that exchange. Once you make the exchange, the first one, Paul says, therefore. So once we've traded the glory of God for something else, therefore the next thing happens. God gives them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they have exchanged the truth about God. That's the second one. For a lie. So I say in here, exchange number one is idolatry. Exchange number two is immorality. But there's something in between that moves them from one exchange to the next. And when you go back and I reread that again, after that first exchange, he gives them up. He gives them what they want. Abandonment. Up to what? To the lusts of their heart, to impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. This has to do with what they're doing with their bodies. There's an immorality to it. Idolatry to immorality. And once they make that second exchange where they are giving up truth for a lie, then it moves, Paul moves us to the next one in verse 26. For this reason, instead of the word therefore, for this reason. So now they've traded. They've traded truth for a lie. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 
And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, I've skipped some verses in there I'm going to circle back to, but what I wanted to do first is to show you kind of the structure of what Paul does in the chapter. He is showing you three kinds of exchanges, one that always leads to another, and in between, he's given you up to something. When you make that trade, fools trade God for something. And so, I kind of put it out on the slide, exchange number one, idolatry. Exchange number two, immorality. Exchange number three is iniquity. Because in the verse he says, he gives them up to what? A debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then he goes on to say all kinds of iniquities. But before I get to that, I just want you to see in between each of those exchanges. Therefore, God gave them up to impurity. Then we trade. For this reason, God gave them up dishonorable passions. Then we trade iniquity. And since, and this is getting down to the base level, God gives them up to a debased mind. And I think back about that prodigal son where he hit that base, that bottom level. I mean, can you get to a more bottom level in his day where you are a servant of pigs in the mud and you think I'm so hungry, I'm going to eat some of their food. I mean, that's low. But his father gave him what he wanted. And in a way, this is what the heavenly father does too. Now, for the prodigal son, you see, he's realizing that. He's looking at his hands. He's coming to a realization, right? But I want to show you something because... I mean, in this picture, it's mud, it's pigs, it's the class of, you know, being a servant. But when Paul says he gives you up to a debased mind, because think about that father. I have to give my son up. What father? I would want to go get my son, collect him from those pigs in the mud, and bring him back. But the son has to come back. And we're going to get to that at the end, that God calls us back to Him, but I want you to see this, because He doesn't give us up to pigs and mud, but He says, to all manner of unrighteousness. Look at verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now, that's a pretty heavy list. See, in the illustration of the prodigal son, the low level is I'm with pigs, I'm in the mud. I've been given over to these things. I've been, they, I've been let go into this because I wanted it. I wanted this path. And in Paul's chapter, he's saying... The Father, the Heavenly Father, will give you up. You are going to end up, the base level is all of these kinds of sins, he says. All manner of unrighteousness. The prodigal son, uncleanness, perhaps mud, and he stinks and he smells on the outside. Paul says on the inside, the heart, the soul of who you are. He's going to give you up to un, all kinds 
of uncleanness. Now, I can't skip over this totally, and I want to pause for a moment. I'm going to look at the list. I put it up there, and I confess I didn't fit all of them on the slide. But I, I want you to see the vast majority of them. But just follow along with me for a second. To make sure you know what all of these are. Unrighteousness is a word that means injustice. Wickedness, this word is used for depravity, iniquity, evil purposes, and desires. It stands for the general inclination to evil. Covetousness, sometimes this word's translated greed, but it is the desire to always have more. It's the lust to advance oneself at the expense of others, to covet. Maliciousness, this is a disposition to injury and revenge, a deliberate desire to do harm to other people. He goes on in the list, full of envy. Envy is the byproduct of greed, but it goes beyond greed. It is a jealousy over the fact that other people have more than you. Deceit. Now, in the Greek, this word actually means fish bait. It ultimately came to mean to lure, to ensnare, to deceive. Evil-mindedness. The lexicon translates it bad character, depravity. Depravity both of the heart and in life. It has a desire to hurt and take pleasure in doing so. Haters of God. The Bible describes that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. The wicked man hates God and His righteousness, His holiness, His sovereignty. Violent injury, insult. This could apply to even the hissings of a mob, even to that of the most dignified person. To be proud is a reference to arrogance, having a high opinion of oneself and filled with contempt for others. Undiscerning. This is a word that it's not specifically about being ignorant but of the things of the world, but when it, it means that you're ignorant of the things of God unintelligent and stupid when it comes to the things of God. Unloving is, well, it's illustrated best by a mother who abandons her child or a father who abandons her family, his family. Untrustworthy, breaking solemn agreements. Unmerciful, to be unable and unwilling to feel the distress that others have. Murderer, disobedient to parents, having a disregard of parents by children, a disregard for the natural law of relationship that God has laid out. Strife means quarrelsome. Whisperers are, represents a kind of, of evil speaking that's done in secret. Backbiters is a reference to those who take pleasure in scandalizing their neighbors. And they don't hesitate to make their accusations in public. Boasters, people that <clears throat> feel su superior to others. Inventors of evil things. Inventors of unlawful pleasures and all kinds 
of additional evils. Man, that is a big list, isn't it? Now, one of the points here is this, because you look at that list. First of all, this chapter, chapter 1, and I didn't mention this at the beginning, it's known for what Paul has to say about same-sex relationships. I skipped those verses. I'm going to come back to them. But you look at that, you look at that list over here at the beginning. What's going to be revealed? The righteousness of God if I have faith. What's going to be revealed over here? The wrath of God if I suppress the truth about Him. And there's a way in which we, we look at that and we go, I'm so glad I'm over here. And I'm not over here. And we think that he's talking about them. He's talking about someone else. But I've got a warning for you. Paul put this list, he put this together because it's a trap. It's a trap. If you know Star Wars, you know that, what that picture means. It's a trap! It's not often I get to quote Admiral Akbar in a sermon. How is it a trap? Well, I want to take you to the first verse of chapter 2, where Paul says this, because he uses the word therefore. Everything he said that we just covered, then he goes, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you practice the very same things. Now go back to that list for a second on that slide. And just look at those. I couldn't put all of them up there. But Paul's right. Everybody sitting in this room, you practice. There's a measure of that in your own life. Just ask your spouse. Just ask your children. Or if you're a kid, just ask your mom or dad. There are times where we are strifeful. We envy for sure. We covet. We live in a culture that encourages holding your opinions high. Being boastful today is quite easy. We talk about others. I mean, there's a lot there. And I would say to you that, I mean, there's a measure of all of these. Even when Christ, when He breaks it down and says, look, you may have never committed a murder, but if you are so angry in your heart at another person that you can't forgive them, you, you have committed murder. That's, in His eyes, it's the same. You may have never actually committed adultery or sexual immorality, but if you lust after a woman, if you look at other people and desire them, you've committed adultery. I mean, there's a measure of all of these in us. And he's laid this out in such a way that he wants you to see it. We are trading God for these things. We make an exchange, but he wants you to see that it gets worse. First time we make an exchange is I, I say, well, here's the righteousness of God is revealed. Over here, the wrath of God. But I'm going to make a trade. I come over here and I choose one of these. I covet. I, I talk about people. I slander. And why did I do it? I thought it would bring something to me that would bring a satisfaction that's, that I need that God can't give me. You've made a trade. You've traded God. And see, there's a way in which he lays it out where you go through it and you go, wow, I'm glad I'm not those people. He's talking about you. It's a trap. He's saying to you. Now, in particular, I would say to you, 
that this also has a very Jewish-Gentile overtone to it. It's the Church of Rome, predominantly Jewish in a Gentile culture. The Jews were very prone to look at the outside world and think high of themselves. But its application is the same. You're looking at the outside, making a judgment, and it's a trap. Now, that's why my third point is, beware, Christian, it's a trap. I just put it out there just like that, you know, simple. I want you to see that. Fools trade God for something else. But uh, I put a quote up here by one of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller. He says, condemning others while excusing ourselves is what allows us to hang on to our self-righteousness and our sin. We can feel good about ourselves while indulging in what makes us feel good. All the while, Paul says, you are condemning yourself. You're looking at others and you don't feel that bad about yourself because they look so bad. And you don't deal with your own trades that are going on. So, we get to the end here. And I guess... You know, just to, to look back, what I would say is we've covered through the passage that fools trade God for something else. There's three kinds of exchanges that go on. But then we, we get towards the end, and uh, what we see is that it was a trap. However, there's something else in the chapter that I, I've got to cover, because to be faithful as a pastor and to go verse by verse to try to cover everything that's there, I'm going to give you three application points. And the first one is this. There is a clear condemnation of same-sex relationships. Now, <clears throat> let me take you to, and I didn't put this one on the board, but I'm going to read to you the section I skipped over. Okay, and I want you to listen to it. Okay, this is what Paul says in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, what I want to show here is, first of all, that it's clear the Bible's stance on this. I have down in my library <clears throat> a section of books that are not Christian. They're written by people of other faiths. Uh, there's quite a variety there. I like to read what other people say. But I have a few books in there that are written by uh, smart people. Some are, they, they claim to be pastors who support uh, same-sex relationships. And what they do is they go into the Bible and they take every instance where God might be teaching against it and try to deconstruct it in a way that says it's not saying that, it's saying something else. But I bring that up because this one section, because I, I have one book in particular where the guy, he's trying to do that, and he says, now this one passage in Romans 1 is the hardest to explain away. Because it's very clear, very clear what he's saying here. First of all, God gives them up to, <clears throat> he says, uncleanness. The word here, ekatharsia, refers to sexual immorality 
The emphasis, though, is on an exchange of natural relations with those contrary to nature. Now, throughout the chapter, Paul has pointed back to the very beginning to Genesis. I mean, his argument about no one can have an excuse for not knowing God is one from nature. The heavens declare the majesty of God. We used that verse last week, but Paul said you should know because his attributes, his eternal power are evident. Just look. And so he's going all the way back to the beginning. Nature is something that God has made. Now, last night I was at um, the Dusitani and I did a wedding. And wed- I love weddings. And it's like the, there's something about them that goes all the way back to Genesis 1. I mean, you have the bride in the back. She comes all the way down to the altar. And there's the groom. This goes all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis, if you read Genesis, you have the creation of everything. God made the heavens and the earth. He made the sun. He made the light. He made the planet. He made the waters. He made the animals. Man, he makes in the image of God. Distinct from everything else in the universe is man and women both. Made in the image of God. This speaks to to man's ability to have emotional, intellectual, spiritual connection to God in a way that nothing else can, to have intimacy. So in Genesis, as he's making everything, everything's good. Over and over it says it's good, and he made this, and it's good, and he made this, and it's good. And the first time in the Bible it says not good is when it says man puts him into the world, gives him a job, He's doing the job, and something's realized he's alone. He says it is not good for man to be alone. Why? Because we are made for companionship. No animal could connect with Adam in a way to give him companionship. None of them have the kind of intimate, deep intimacy that you get in a human-to-human relationship. I always use the example, it's like if I'm walking down the beach with my wife and we're holding hands and the waves are crashing and there's beautiful palm trees and we look up the sunset and I look into her eyes and I say, honey, I love you. Now, you take the same story and I'm walking down that beach with, I got this cute little dog, uh, Bailey. It's a little bitty and she is so adorable, you know. And I'm walking her down that beach, you know. You know, and uh, same thing, we're looking at everything, and I pick her up, and I says, Bailey, I love you. It's not the same. (laughs) She doesn't receive it the same. There's a difference, and that is being made in the image of God. So there's something foundational Paul in Romans 1 is going to go back to. We're made for intimacy. Now, he's alone, he makes Eve, and he brings her. Takes a rib, fashions her, brings her to Adam. That's the the connection I always make with the woman coming down the aisle. You know, it's just great. We give so much honor to that. You know, the doors close, the doors open, everyone stands up. There's the bride coming down. You know, the Bible gives a lot of honor to women. I'm going to tell you that. The Bible says of a man if you find a wife, you are blessed. Now, I look through the Bible for the, you know, equal here, equality. Where does it say if a woman finds a husband, she's blessed? It doesn't. 
But if the man finds a woman, he is blessed with a lot of honor. And he brings her down to her, and there they are. And Adam says, wow, that's my transliteration. And he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is the kind of language that says she is like me, but unlike the rest of creation. I can have intimacy with her. And then it goes on to say, leave and cleave, you become one. There's supposed to be a deep connection, one, intimacy. And it goes on to say, I know there's some kids in here, but this is what it says, you know, that they were both naked and they were not ashamed. And that is really driving at vulnerability and its relationship to intimacy. Because you can't get much vulnerable than to be absolutely naked in front of the person. And then that person goes, well, I'm not having any of that. I mean, that's rejection. But to get intimacy, you have to come to them and say, this is all of who I am. And there's no shame here. We are not perfect. And in a marriage, you learn about those imperfections. But there's a covenant. There's an agreement that I'm with you for life, no matter what. This is foundational to all kinds of intimacy. Because you would never want to commit to someone and try to get out of them sexual intimacy at its deepest level without emotional intimacy or relational intimacy and should be spiritual intimacy. They come together as one. And Paul is saying in Romans 1, he's going back that they are trading that because he uses the words natural. And in reality, there's something about the relationship of marriage that communicates to us intimacy with God. Because God in His disposition towards us is covenantal. Paul says nothing can separate us from the love of God. I am convinced that nothing can separate us, height nor depth, principalities or powers, angels, nothing. God is unconditionally going to love us. And that's what we get at all the way back in, in Genesis. Adam and Eve were to have that, that intimacy, that covenantal kind of relationship. And that's the kind of relationship we are to have with God. But God comes to us and I am covenanting towards you unconditional love. And our response back to Him is to say, I kind of want that, but there are some things I don't want. I want to have it my way. And that's not the kind of commitment that the Bible lays out for us. When you go out here, a few weeks ago we had a baptism. When we baptize, you're, you're saying I'm making a, a commitment to Christ. I believe I'm going to follow Him. But you don't say, I want God, I want you to give all of you to me. I want you to fill my heart with love and all who you are but I'm not going to give it back to you. I'll give you some of it, but... Uh, and this is the problem. In Romans 1, he's hearkening back to this very thing. It's at the very foundational of relationship with God because it's truth suppressing. In the same way that he said, God is evident, but you suppress that truth, in these relationships... He's going all the way back. There's something natural about. In the Genesis, it's man and woman. There's a gender 
complementarity there. Male and female. There's a sexual complementarity there. And you're undoing it. You're truth suppressing is what he is saying. Those who suppress truth about God as revealed in nature suppress truth about themselves written in nature. And we see this ever expansion of truth suppression in culture today. I didn't say this in the first service, but it's, it's an obvious example to, to, to be confused about male and female and to say we're going to let males come over here and dominate men in sports. There's something truth suppressing about that. Now, Kevin DeYoung, I'm quoting here, he says, homosexual behavior is a sin because the act itself as a truth-suppressing exchange is contrary to God's good design. Therefore, this is what I would say about the example. This passage isn't in its entirety about same-sex relationships. The part about same-sex relationships that I read is an illustration. It's illustrative because we have a whole list of ways we can truth-suppress God. But he takes the one and he unpacks it in a way that's so obvious, the truth suppression here. But any truth suppression leads you towards God's wrath. So, my points in application are number one, there's a clear condemnation. I can't skip over it. And I've preached here for 14 years. I don't know if I've ever preached about this in this way. But the reason I'm doing it now is because it's right here in the Scripture. I'm just giving it to you how Paul lays it out. Secondly, in application, I would tell you he, that giving approval is also condemned because he goes on and he says, though they knew God's decree, and this is after the long list, this is verse 32 of all the different, all uh, manner of unrighteousness, right? Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. So there's a part here of what he's saying that, that also deals with, even if you would think, I'm not any of those, you can't give approval to any of those because they're contrary to God's nature. And there he says they deserve to die. That death is spiritual death. That is going back to where he said there's only two kinds of revealing. A revealing of God's righteousness to you because of your faith, or a revealing of God's wrath to you because you suppressed Him. And if we suppress truth, Paul's telling us that the end result is a spiritual separation from God, which is spiritual death. Now, we are not to give approval, Paul is saying, to any of these things. Now, that doesn't mean we can be good neighbors to people who display these qualities. I mean, the reality is we have a measure of these things in us, right? Be careful. It's a trap to be judgmental. But you certainly cannot approve by saying, it's okay. That can be in your life. Malice, slander, including same-sex relationship, all of those. Giving approval is condemned. And lastly, I put here, fools who suppress the truth we'll see, or it will be revealed, the wrath of God. And that just takes us back to the two. There's only two. 
two, two revealings. A revealing of God's righteousness, which is not our own, it's Christ, remember that, or revealing of His wrath. And I'm going to finish with that verse 16, which I said is a key verse to the whole book. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God, and here it is, is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There's a way in which he's calling us all back to that. I, I finish with the, the picture of the prodigal son and his father. I mean, you look at that. <clears throat> and uh, now he's coming back. In the story, the son came back to the father. He finally came to the realization, man, even my father's servants have a better life than me. I, he gave me what I wanted. I, I went this way. It, it led to a debasement. It led to the worst and I want to come back. And what I love about the picture is the father's watching and he's waiting. When you read the story, when Jesus tells it, he's, he's standing there and he's watchful. And I don't know, it's like he couldn't be there 24-7, but it's like maybe each day he came out and he was looking. Maybe I'll see him coming back. He's watchful. And when he saw him far away, he knew it was him. And you know what that means? He could tell by the way he was walking. You know, we all walk a certain way, don't we? Even like my own sons, if I see them off in the distance, I could tell. I could tell. Uh, the other day, I, I, I pulled up to GFA, and there was a soccer game going on, and I was like, I think that's a girl I coached. She's out there. And I was watching the way she was running. like, that's her. I could tell by the way she runs. You could tell. I mean, this is an illustration, you know, if my wife sees me from far away walking, she just knows it's me. She could see by the way that I'm walking that it's me. You know, just an illustration. But um, the father saw him coming, and, you know, how did he receive him, right? He ran to him. He's calling you. He, and what, what I would end with is there's a measure of all of this list within us, and we need to see it, and we need to, in faith, move away from those things, and in faith, trust God. I traded God for something. I thought it would give me <clears throat> something He couldn't. I need to stop that, and I need to have faith. Christ is all. It's all I need. You know, I didn't talk about the other son, but the other son in the story, he's a very self-righteous guy. He's a guy who looks at the list and says, I don't break these rules. I'm, I'm a churchgoer. But he's just like the other son because he became jealous, the older son who kept the rules, both of them really just wanted their father's stuff. And the real treasure was the father. And we need to be reminded of that. Father, thank you for being able to study this passage. It's heavy. There's a lot in it. Maybe not to camp out too long on one thing, but to get the overall look of what Paul was driving at. That <clears throat> It's about relationship with God. It's about... God revealing Himself to us in only one of two ways. And if we suppress truth, then the wrath of God will be revealed. And we need to know and learn, perhaps, that God will give us what we want. Like that prodigal son said, I want the inheritance. I want the inheritance. 
I want to go on my way. And he gave him what he wanted. But each time he gives us something we want, it leads us down, downward. We end up exchanging something else. First it's idols and it's truth and it leads us into sin. And we're trading the goodness of God away for temporary sinful feelings. And so, Lord, we just ask that we could see it within ourselves. I pray that we would not be judgmental. We probably know people here in Guam who they're on the list that we just saw. And we might look down upon them. But to be reminded, it's a trap. Because when we judge others, we're judging ourselves. And we need to be gracious and reminded that our Father, He's loving towards us. He's gracious towards us. And that's what draws us to Him. And if we are to be faithful missionaries, disciple makers, then we need to be um, loving and gracious to call people to a loving and gracious God. But to not approve of things that should not be approved. As Paul said there at the end. And just to land, Lord, on the fact that the revealing we desire is your righteousness, a right standing before you. It's not our own. It's Christ. But we get it because of our faith in him. To put our faith in his work. I call us to that. Your word calls us to that. And I lift this up in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll finish as we worship God together.